Is that what I'm saying? Rough trade radio. 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 Hello and welcome back to the Retro Podcast. This week there's no 5 to 1, but instead we are listening back to a special Q&A with Tim Burgess, lead vocalist and frontman of The Charlatans. His new book, One to Another, is an in-depth unpacking of the lyrics and the stories behind the songs throughout his musical career. It's also one of the top 20 titles in our Rough Trade UK Books of the Year list, so goes without saying it comes highly recommended by us. So stay tuned for that, coming up in just a little bit. Also look out for Rob and his delicious new chunk of Roundup. And although this might be the last week in November, there ain't no stopping some brilliant new albums arriving in the racks. I'll be playing you some of our favourites and also looking ahead to what's coming up early on in 2020. I just can't get used to the whole 2020 thing. It's still, every time I write it or see it written, it still looks just way too futuristic. I don't know about you, but... It does to me. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into some tunes and to kick off this week. First up, we have Baxter Dury, son of Ian, who is back with a new album in March called The Night Chances, which deals with thrilling affairs dissolving into sweaty desperation, absurd bloggers, social media stalkers, sleep-deprived optimism, and soiled real life, as heard in the new single called Slumlord, which goes a little bit like this. <laughs> Fresh honey, I'm the Milky Bar Kid. Soiled trousers, shiny cheekbones like graveyards in the sun. Murder shoes, dirty eyes sizing up.
So that was the new one from the brilliant Baxter Dury. The album is on pre-order now at roughtrade.com. Always, always love a bit of Baxter. So new this week and the sparkly, poppy, blissful, funk-tinged songs is what's on the agenda for the new Girl Ray album. It is quite a change up from the North London trio following 2017's debut Earl Grey. It's inspired by Ariana Grande's explosion into pop culture and just the band listening generally to a shitload of pure pop bangers. They've experimented and they've come up with 11 shimmery foot tappers that please and then some. So to top it off, we have a Rough Trade exclusive sparkle vinyl edition of this album. And yeah, here's to the new sound. We're huge fans and this is my personal fave, which also happens to be the album title. This is Girl Ray and Girl. was Girl Ray next and a new Leonard Cohen album. So it's called Thanks for the Dance and it brilliantly constructs a star-studded cast of musicians featuring Damien Rice, Arcade Fire's Richard Reed Parry, The Nationals' Bryce Desner, Dustin O'Halloran, Beck and many, many more. It was produced and masterminded by Leonard's son Adam and it's a wonderful final bow with rich, deep, warm vocals offset by a rather glorious soundtrack, I must say. So yeah, have a listen to this and check out this track. It's called Moving On. 
your face, I loved your hair, your t-shirts, and your evening wear. As for the world, the job, the war, I ditched them all to love you more. And now you're gone, now you're gone. As if there ever was a you who broke the heart and made it new. Who's moving on? Who's kidding who? was Leonard Cohen next and a bit of a homage to one of our favourite ever bands Mega Rockheads Queens of the Stone Age recently announced the reissue of four of their past studio albums in no particular order Songs for the Deaf Rated R Lullabies to Paralyze and Era Vulgaris so Rated R landed um, this week it's the band's second album released way back in 2000 it's an incredible modern rock record featuring such cult lyrics as, and I really will try not to sing this, nicotine, Valium, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy and alcohol. You know it and you know what comes next. Um, It's been played a bunch of times in the shop here at East this week. And man, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. It's high up on many a favourite Queens of the Stone Age albums list, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, here's one from Rated R. This is Autopilot.
that was Queens of the Stone Age. What a record. Um, and speaking of reissues, here's Rob with this week's edition of Roundup. Rough Trade Radio. Hey, it's Rob. And let's uh, round up some of those Rough Trade reissues. If I'm a musical time traveller, you're probably thinking as the reissued guy that I'm only going one way and that's back. But i got a couple of releases uh, for you today, which uh, have its eyes firmly on the future a time of future, at least. Uh, you know, we're heading into 2020. Now, when you were a kid, that seems like those flying cars should be out there and we should be living in a utopia. I tell you now, we are not there. Oh, we are not there, my friends. But we'll always have good records and we can always rely on great labels like Soul Jazz Records. Hey, I seem to be bringing in once a month one of their comps. Uh, and today is all about two wonderful comps. Uh, starting off with uh, Space Funk, Afrofuturist Electro Funk in Space, 1976 to 1984. You can pick this up on double vinyl or double vinyl with a seven inch bonus single. There's only a thousand of those, so do pick that up quick. Uh, this is a kind of collection of real, real good sort of electro-funk stuff. The kind of stuff that I think back in 1976, 1984, a lot of musicians were trying to sort of, they had a lot of new technology, a lot of synthesizers. They were trying to sort of like play around with how they can make music for the future. It's that kind of, you know, like those retro sci- sci-fi things. That was big in the time. Uh, this is the sort of space we were all uh, going for. Man, he just, man just got on the moon. We were dreaming we were going to get there. Space Funk, we're putting Afro Funk on the moon. And there's a great comp that's come out this week um, called Kraut Jazz Futurism. Now, I know I'm the reissue guy, but a lot of these bands are actually sort of in the now. This is a look at Berlin music today because do you know what they're fed up of well they're not i don't think they're fed up of they've got a, a very good industry uh people who come in for their techno scene but berlin's like we're not just the the techno guys that's my berlin accent uh so they've got this compilation of records which highlights the fact that hey we've got a well good jazz scene too we got some stuff that takes on a bit of the Cosmish Krautrock stuff. We got stuff that looks at Afrobeat, jazz, and electronica. A lot of uh, the sort of like Germanic styles of popular music and fusion that they've had in their past, but also looking towards the future and building on the great jazz scenes that have come out of London, have come out of LA and Berlin. Put to, and then they put together this people from Berlin have put together this wonderful comp, um, which has been created by Matthias Modica who has got together some great, great acts uh, from Salamia, uh, Carl Hector and the Malcoons, who I want to play for you in a second, C.A.R., uh, Ralph Hadel. So there's some, like, there's some really wonderful out here sounds. So if you've been enjoying stuff like Your Vanishing Twin, if you've been enjoying some of those We Out Here comps, if you've been enjoying some really, really good breakbeats, the Germans have been doing this stuff for years, and this only highlights how rich their scene is. Okay, uh, so I want, again, I want to play Carl Hector and the Malcoons. Now, they previously put stuff out on Now Again Records, which is uh, the sort of uh, reissuing, um, the sort of museo-y arm of Stones Throw, headed by elite record collector Egon. Um, this stuff goes in hard. Uh, so this is a track called Orange Man. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Thanks, Rob. Next, and we are going to join the playback of our in-store Q&A with Tim Burgess, who spoke to Matt Nixon about his songwriting process, giving insight into his new book, One to Another, one of our UK books of the year for 2019. So um, you've done your memoir, Telling Stories. Yeah. You did Tim Timbuktu, your record shop, Odyssey. And now it's a collection of lyrics. But, I mean, this is another... It's really another life story, isn't it? It's through the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... it's for me, you know, to have the idea of, um, you know, being able to write about myself, really. <laughs> how, how, tell me how the book came about. Um, which, actually, uh, through events like this or uh, uh, playing live and meeting people and, and just sort of like listening to their stories and what the lyrics have actually meant um, meant to them um, kind of, you know, you know um, touched me quite a lot really. So I thought it'd be, it, that I think planted the seed. So, I mean, tell us, how, how did you become the sort of main lyricist for the charlatans? It, it must have been a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, um, it wasn't something that, I had uh, huge aspirations to do, but I did want to be in a band, and um, and I didn't want to sing anybody else's words. So I pretty much just became the lyricist. And um, Martin from the band was um, he was kind of into it as well, but then maybe you know his his determination at writing great lyrics kind of faded a bit faster than mine. I was going to say, though, it's not whether it's written on the tin that if you're the singer, you have to write the lyrics. Because there are bands, I'm thinking like The Who or Manic Street Preachers, yeah. where the singer doesn't write the lyrics. And sure. I wonder whether you, you'd be able to do that or whether it would be too weird. Because it's very personal, isn't it? I have sung other people's lyrics and um, I feel okay about them. Um, I was born on Christmas Day, being one of them. And, um, and I collaborated with uh, Kurt Wagner as well on a, on a record and, and he wrote pretty much all the lyrics but that was a, 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 an idea um, that we both had before going into it but with the exception of those um, yeah I've, I've written all of them and I feel like even though some of them might not appear that I have something huge to say um, it feels like I'm saying something because they come from uh, they come from me was there, was there a particular song where you just thought, you know what, I can do this? Was there a moment, moment that you recall? Yeah, um, probably something off the first album. I, I, I was really happy with Opportunity from the first album. Um, but I think I thought I could do it when I actually joined the band and, and, and wrote uh, Flower. So... But I was the yeah, proudest of opportunity, probably. I think one of the, the great lyrics from The Only One I Know, everyone has been burned before, everyone knows the pain. And you talk yeah. about how they were just like placeholders. Yeah. And you were always <laughs> planning to replace them with something better. And just, God, thank God you didn't. Well, not, not particularly better, but something that was actually all mine. Um, <laughs> because uh, they were kind of like half borrowed from um, David Crosby from right. The Birds. So. Um, so I want, you know, I think he might have said everyone. Oh no, I said everyone, and he said everybody. I think, but slightly, well, you know what they say: talent borrows, genius steals. Right. Well, I was definitely uh, feeling genius when I was writing that. And I mean, I, this sounds like a really silly question, but I'm sure lots of people want to know. Do you sure. know? Do you know when you've written a hit? I mean, do you just think? Is there a kind of sort of moment where you where you look at each other and you think this is going to be a biggie? <laughs> Sorry, it's a really difficult question. No, no, or does it does it just come over time? N no, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, members of the band thought Plastic Machinery from different days w was a single, and it turned out to be, and it and it did great. Um, we all, I, I felt that Indian Rope was a masterpiece, um, and I didn't know whether we could better it. And, we, and that was our first single, so we've done something. 
right? Um, the only one I know felt really great. And, and But that um, wasn't it, originally a single, was it? It, it was going to be Polar Bear. Yeah, it was originally going to be Polar Bear. And that was a, like a fan favourite. But I was um, driving to go and... Um, you know, make the only one I know with, with everybody. Um, and I was with my friend, and he was kind of telling me what I'd seen, really, which was the reaction to the only one I know from early, you know, very early shows was mental. It was just, it was nuts. Um, and he kind of just talked me through really what happened, what the reaction was like in the audience when that song came on. And it was just, a, it was a different thing, really. But that was, um, and that was, I think, from the book, that was an instrumental for quite a long time. It wasn't, you... it was, yeah. And I never had a, no, none of us ever had problems with the idea of a, a song being an instrumental. But, you know, we all, uh, to write an instrumental is quite a difficult thing, I think. And uh, it has to tell you something without words. So it's quite difficult. Um, and we were all very excited about some of our instrumentals. But this one, I just, it, something happened. and uh, Something magical. Something magic happened on my way to get a, a packet of cigarettes after um, my mum had made me some tea, as we say, <laughs> up north. And, uh, and um, I uh, went to get some cigarettes from the neighbouring village and came up with the melody and ran back to record it on a, um, a uh, dictaphone. And I often think, what if I just couldn't be bothered? <laughs> Good point. Um, I mean, it's a huge song in every way. How important was it to the development of the band? I mean, it must have raised the bar enormously. I mean, as you say, Indian Rope's a brilliant, brilliant song, but yeah. the only one I know was just a massive global hit. Um, yeah. Did you feel it kind of really up the stakes? Yeah, I mean, it, it took us from, um, you know, um, just being in a, in a in a van, you know, um, which was very enjoyable, but um, to being on the cover of, like, Smash It's and, you know, cover of um, magazines and stuff like that and selling lots of records. Um, it didn't change us really at all. We kind of... We were young and we didn't really notice, really. We, we, you know, in hindsight, it was such a massive thing. But at the time, everyone was doing other things, you know. But some bands really come to hate those early hits, don't they? But I don't think yeah. I've ever seen you guys play live and not play it. We, we yeah, went, there might we, be times. But. We went through a period where we thought we sounded like a Charlatan's cover band, um, <laughs> which there are a few of now, and they do a really good job of it, so... We thought. Um, Have you ever been to see them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have I ever been to see them? Yeah, yeah. Um, no. You should. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've just heard, I've heard rumours. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I enjoy that song a lot. Every time I sing it, it makes me feel good. Well, it's funny because um, I was looking back at some of the albums and you've not always put the lyrics on the albums. And I wondered if that was a conscious decision or, or right. whether it was just did it fit with the design or. You know, like I think the third album hasn't got lyrics. The second album has. Right. Was there was that something you talked about, or did you want to keep an air of mystery? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I struggled uh, quite a lot with the lyrics on the second album, and the third album, I felt I was like, yeah, by um, can't get out of bed. I really felt that it was it was getting good again, um, which came maybe about you know halfway through uh, the writing of. So the, the, that the, album. the difficult second album syndrome that affected the lyrics as well then? Well, it, 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 it did. Um, and it wasn't because of The Only One I Know. It was because of the huge success of Some Friendly, really. And then after that, um, we just wanted to put out EPs and we used up all our songs. So we went happily into Rockfield Studios, which is like a really expensive studio, and um, had no songs. So we had two songs, I think. Uh, we're Do you on, remember what they were on? Uh, can't even be bothered. Two great songs. Yeah, in fairness. yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, but then we, ha you know, we kind of wrote the rest in the studio with a very expensive producer. Was it one of those ones where suddenly someone comes in and says, "Guys, you've been here for like two months, and this is the bill," and you know, 
No, no, we didn't see the bill. We were oblivious, really. But I, um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pick up a, um, I couldn't string two words together. I was like really, sort of overanalyzing, the, even the the theirs and the as and the ofs. Well, it just sounds the, like the, the pressure it, was all. It, it was, yeah, the only good thing really was uh, watching telly, which I watched quite a lot of. <laughs> But um, after that, um, we really knuckled down with, um, what was the third one called again? Oh, up, at, up at the... Up, 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 up to, to our hips. hips. That's up it, to our up hips. to our hips. And... Um, and uh, uh, you, in fairness, you've done 13 albums, yeah, so remembering yeah, them all. And there's a couple that begin with up as well. <laughs> it's a favourite a favorite word. Um, and... Uh, I think as the album goes along, I think it just like grows and it became a blueprint for a couple of albums that followed after, after that, and I think. how you work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing period, really, that. I'm, I'm sort of leaping forward a bit, but I, again, I loved reading the book that North Country Boy and How High were written on the same day and then within a week you'd also knocked out one to another. I mean... That just must yeah. have been an absolutely brilliant time to be in the Charlton's, incredibly creative and yeah. just the band on a roll. I mean, can you tell us a bit about that time, please? I was, I was living in, in uh, London and Mark came to visit and um, we, yeah, that's true. Within, between Monday and Friday, we, we'd written North Country Boy and How High. And then the following week, we went up to see uh, Martin and Rob, who'd been working on this riff uh, that became <laughs> that became one to another. They were just, I think they played it for about four hours, that, <laughs> that, just, that, that intro. <laughs> and they, they didn't know where to go next, so like Mark helped them out. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Mark's, Mark's survival in the band seems to have kind of, it, that was when you really gelled, is yeah, that right? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, well, I mean, me and uh, John Baker kind of joined at the same time and, and you know, I really, Love John. Um, it was fantastic, but it didn't wasn't working out for various reasons, really. But um, um, I remember uh, me and John Brooks leaving the room, and Rob and Martin told John, you know, that it, it wasn't working out. And um, I'd known Mark because I, I went up to him after a, a Waltons gig and told him that it was my, my favorite guitarist, and. Um, they were supporting a band called The Brilliant Corners, and he doesn't even remember me saying it, which is kind of a bit sad, I think. But uh, <laughs> and uh, but he really became, you know, my best friend for the longest time. I think yeah. he talks about coming in to record a song, and then before he knew it, he was in the band. There wasn't yeah, really a discussion. He, 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 he thought it was going to be like uh, two two guitarists. Just well, while we're talking about North Country Boy, tell us about the making of the video because I know I know people know this mm. story, but it's just such a great story yeah. about how you came <laughs> to do that video. And it was it was basically a holiday with a video knocked on the end. Is that right? Well, um, we were working with Lindy Heyman, who we'd done a lot of videos with, and um, the concept was that we um, were just going to go to New York. Um, it's not that funny. <laughs> Well, it's like, here's, here's 40 grand, what can you do it, it with it? It wasn't 40, it was 20. 20. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, so flights, and we got the best hotel in, in Soho. Um, and I think you said there was $78 left, and you said, we'll use that for a taxi. And that's then you right. filmed, yeah, 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 you filmed yeah. yourselves walking and in yeah. a taxi, and that paid for it. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you tell it them better than I do. So... Um, <laughs> The book, you, you obviously talk about some of your inspirations and there's a good list in the front of people you were listening to as a, as a sort of youngster, you yeah. know, Joy Division, Sex Pistols, some of the obvious ones. But I yeah. think it's fair to say Bob Dylan and Wu-Tang Clan get loads and loads of mentions. Right. Are they kind of sort of big inspirations lyrically? I, th I think lyrically they're, they're, they're just mind-blowing, aren't they? I mean, you know, I mean, if you... Um, you know, I thought um, Rizzo's... Rhymes were just amazing, and, and yeah. I, I love Bob Dylan's protest songs. But I really like his kind of psychedelic, um, you know, Highway 61, uh, Blonde on Blonde kind of like, era, you know, where he um, just 
dreams up things that capture your, your imagination and, and that always really, really got to me. That's um, perhaps that's a bit more reflective of your own writing. You're a bit more abstract rather than kind of you don't come from the factual tell a story school of lyrics. Is that is that positive? Is that something you've sort of purposely done or is it just a kind of natural evolution? Um, I th I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a bit more kind of like storytellery these days or, you know, make something a bit more complete. Um, but abstract was definitely something that I, I have been. I mean, um, presumably it lets your audience also kind of well, yeah, bring I mean, their own meanings to songs. I, I think even if, the, even if the lyrics are direct, I think people do get from them what they want. Um, but, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Blonde on Blonde lyrics by... Yeah, pretty unbeatable, really. Yeah, aren't they? and quite esoteric, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, sad eyed lady of Lowland would probably be. So, yeah, great song. Yeah. Uh, have any of the songs changed in meaning over the years you've been singing them? I mean, I, I know you talked about kind of standing at the merch stands at gigs and talking mm -hmm. to people and they'll tell you about their favourite lyrics and so on. Just wondered whether you've written something at one point and then you look back years later and think, oh, actually, you know what, I'm not sure that that was what I was writing about. It's The, the, the songs kind of evolved with the band and with you as a as an artist. They, they, they've all become something different than, than they originally intended. And there's no examples, really. They, they just all mean something completely different. Indian Rope was written 30 years ago. I don't... I, I, I tried to figure out what who I was then, you know, but, I, but I've lived that. So I kind of like, I, I just, you know, the lyrics were from, you know, a 21 year old, inexperienced, um, you know, someone who'd come from a suburb of Manchester or, you know, or, um, and, and grown up, you know, grown up quite quietly. Um, they still, they still look like that, but, the, you know, I have no idea what what I was thinking then now. So go on, last question, but I mean, is there going to be, is, I know there's a, there's a solo Tim Burgess album on the, on the stocks ready to come out. Yeah. Is there going to be a Charlatan's album imminently? Have you there, got there's no any writing. plans to get together? There's no writing at the moment. I mean, um, I was, uh, I did a, a solo tour um, for Independent Venue Week uh, Last year, might, might have been this year. I can't remember. <laughs> um, it was this year. No, it wasn't. It was last year. Oh, was it? It was this year. It was All right, this thanks. Year. And um, and it really inspired me to go and 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 because this uh, the record that I was playing live was a record that um, I didn't finish ten years ago. And I thought if I really concentrate on making a um, a new record, um, maybe it'll sound really really great. And it does. So. Great. Well, something to yeah. look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Rough Tradies. Thanks, Little yeah. Brown Books. Um, I think Tim's going to be signing at the front of the store Great. in a couple of minutes. Okay. So, I mean, put your hands together for Tim Burgess. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, Take care, mate. Thank you.
that of course was The Charlatans and One to Another. Really hope you enjoyed the playback with Tim. If you head to roughtrade.com and our UK site, we do have some specially signed copies of Tim's book still available. So they'd be great to snap up if you were interested in what he was saying. Or of course, if you want to buy one as a gift for someone because Christmas is very much on the horizon now. Um, So you might have noticed that George is absent this week. He's gearing up for Black Friday. Um, Although much smaller in relation to Record Store Day, I did speak a bit about it last week, actually. The opportunity to purchase limited and special edition vinyl on the last Friday of November is growing ever more popular in the UK and it's already pretty well established in the US. So George actually made an awesome Black Friday promo video which you can catch over on the Rough Trade NYC Instagram. So be sure to check that out. I'll leave the link in the show notes for you. Black Friday itself kicks off at opening time this Friday. Um, The lists for this year are available at roughtrade.com and should be on the homepage. I'll also stick a link in the show notes for you too. So if you can't get down to one of our stores, do not worry. Remaining titles will be available to purchase online on Saturday morning in the UK, I think from 7am and Sunday in the US. Now, one of my picks for this year is the issue of Kings of Leon's Dale Belgian Blues live EP, which is coming out on vinyl for the very first time. So recorded on a European tour to promote their sophomore album, 2004's Aha Shake Heartbreak, it captures the band's raw, urgent rock sound as it swept over fans and critics alike. It features live recordings of The Bucket, Molly's Chambers, Taper Jean Girl and more. It's a must for any fan. And I'm going to leave you with the live version of Four Kicks, which is my favourite song. If you are celebrating Thanksgiving this week, have an amazing time. Um, Thank you so, so much for listening. And I will see you all in the next one. Bye. All right, all right. subscriptions help to support what we do so if you like what you hear then please rate us on itunes